are going to go into the word of the Lord. Praise God. If you have your Bibles, you're standing, so that's a good posture right now. Praise God. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 14. I do also, as you're going there, want to give God thanks for every one of you who prayed for me. As many of you know from last week, I had testified about a situation that took place and something I was heading into that very week. <clears throat> and I truly felt the presence of the Lord with me on my way to Toronto to meet with the board to, to discuss my ordination. And I'm telling you, there is nothing like having a church pray for you. The Lord told me, you need to get that type of exposure. Never be afraid of what I'm doing in your life, especially when it involves other lives that will be impacted by it. You need the prayer of a church behind you. And I want to give God thanks for that. Praise the Lord. Give God thanks for that. Praise God. <clears throat> if you have it, uh, Genesis chapter 14, I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Praise the Lord. If you have it, just say amen. Praise the name of the Lord. And it reads, and it came to pass in the days of Armaraphel, Ar king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elisar, Chedolomor, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations, that they made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shember, king of Zoboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zor. All these joined together in the valley of Sidim, that is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served Chedolomar. In the thirteenth year they rebelled. And in the fourteenth year, Chedolomar and the kings that were with him came and attacked the Rephem in Ashtaroth and Karnaim, the Zuzims in Ham and the Imim in Shavakirathem. And the Horites in their mountain of Seir as far as El Paran, which is by the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and attacked all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites who dwelt in Hezeon, uh, Tamar. And in the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma and the king of Zoboam and the king of Bela, that is Zor, went out and joined together in battle in the valley of Sidim against Chedorlaomer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of nations, Aramaphel, king of Shinar, and Iraq, king of Elisar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Sidim was full of asphalt pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell there, and the remainder fled to the mountains. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took excuse me, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods and departed. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebinth tree of Mamre and uh, the Amorite brother of Eskol and brother of Anar, and they were allies with Abram. Now when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. 
he divided his forces against them by night. And he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods as well as the women and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Sheva, Sheva, that is the king's valley, after his re return from the defeat of the Chedilamar and the kings who were with him. Then Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram the, of God's most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him tithe of all. Praise the name of the Lord. Let's bow our heads as we pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we give you thanks, O God, for your word to us that will be spoken. Father, we need your word. We need your rhema word, your right now word. And I pray in the name of Jesus, God, that you would increase in me. And that I would decrease that you would open the ears and understanding of those that are here today to hear your word and receive what you have for them. Bless us now, I pray in Jesus name. Let the church say amen. 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 You may be seated in the house of the Lord. <clears throat> Praise the name of the Lord. That was quite the reading in Genesis chapter 14. Praise God. And. And today, I believe the Lord has a message for us, and the message is that we are worth fighting for. Worth fighting for. Uh, it, it's amazing as we read through that situation with, with Abraham and his, his, uh, his nephew there, um, how that the news came to Abraham that his family member had been taken away as well as others because of this war. And to me, I found it such an amazing thing that Abraham wasted no time. And he gathered his household servants, 318 of them, and went after the enemy in hot pursuit to bring back what was stolen from him. Worth fighting for. Worth fighting for. As I was preparing for this message, it was so hard for me not to uh, consider what is happening in our today's world. We look in the Middle East and there is war in Israel. And as we listen to these wars and have used, as you've, you have come to understand, the atrocities that have taken place, heartless killings, demonic activities in those places, it's hard not to hear about those heroic experiences and encounters of the very natives of the land. It's easy to get, you know, clouded by all the excitement of the bullets. But when you hear those stories about family members going against all odds, as this, as, as this man have, who was 62 years old, I read in this article, a retired general, his sons and his wives, his son's wife and children 
were in the midst of Gaza in the hottest part of the war. And when he had very little signal, he was bunkered in his, his, his um, uh, uh, bomb bunker, if you will. And his children, he had a very weak signal, but he texted his dad and said, we are in trouble. Their fighters are outside our house. And he lost connection. Then suddenly the connection came back and his dad came with a text saying, I'm coming. His dad said, I'm coming. And you have to understand, these militants are ruthless. So these, this family is bunkered for hours, telling their children, you can't say a word. The militants are literally outside fighting and shooting. If they hear a peep and find out someone's in here, it's over. And the only thing that kept those daughters confident is that their grandpa was coming. Their grandpa was coming. But the son in himself, as he in the article discussed, I don't know how my dad's going to do this. We're talking about a war with a vicious enemy. How is he going to get to us? We are, he's hours from us. Can I tell you, that dad gathered troops and in the midst of his journey to get his son, in the midst of the journey, he was helping other families. They were coming to him, but he was helping them going back. And finally, after 10 hours, he, they start hearing gunshots outside. But the gunshots they were hearing were different because it seemed like it was multiple coming back and forth. And his son said in himself, that's Papa. And the, and the granddaughter saying, Grandpa's here. We are saved. And they began to weep in that uh, um, um, bomb bunk, uh, bunker. They began weeping, even though they weren't out yet, because they felt that the presence of their grandpa was there. It was going to be fine. And he was there and rescued his family against all odds. And you have to ask yourself, because they, they tried to understand what sent this grandfather against all odds into the hottest part of the war with this, this militant terrorist group. And the only thing that came to mind is his family was worth fighting for. Every risk that it required, he was going to take it. There were generals that were, were telling him, don't do this. Police officers begging him not to go. This is suicide. He said, I am going to go and, I'm, and nothing's going to stop me. I feel that spirit of Abraham in the ancient world rising up in that gentleman who recognized something was, it was at stake here. Somebody stole something from me. Can I tell you, we have to understand we are in the fight of our lives. And the purpose of this word, I believe God wants to prepare his church to fight for their loved ones, to fight for your families, to fight for your neighbors, for your friends, and to fight to win. Now is the time to lift up your voice. You must fight for the things that are good. Fight. Fight. We have to fight for what is good. 
and pulling from that very experience. It's hard not to see of other encounters in the word of the Lord. Where it seems like there is an opposition against good. When you're reading the book of Nehemiah and recognizing the prophecies that were spoken by Isaiah and by Jeremiah. The things that were going to come to pass for Israel. Because at that time they were in Babylon. Sent there by judgment of God. And God said, 70 years you will be in this land. But during that time, the Bible tells us there are prophecies that are going forth. And God is saying, I told you, you will be here only 70 years. And I am going to raise up a leader in this very land of captivity to release you. And the Bible tells us the name of that person before he's even born, Cyrus. Cyrus, King Cyrus, is raised up as a servant of God. And he gives a decree that every soul that is of the house of Israel are to raise up and go back to their homeland and build the temple of God. Can I tell you, that's a pagan king who God is using in the land of captivity to send the people of God back home. To build the temple, the place of worship. But we are told that during that time, they come against opposition. The door was open to them, church. God opened the door. But it wasn't going to happen that easy. Why? Because as they were going to build, there were oppositions. Their enemies surrounded them. And tormented them and caused discord among them until years and years went by and nothing was accomplished to finish what they had started. It wasn't until years later we are, we are told about Nehemiah's burden for his country. The Bible says he's hurt because he's hearing about what has happened to his land. The walls are broken down. There's still corruption. Things are not the way they are supposed to be. And fast forwarding this thing, we are told that the king releases Nehemiah and sends him with resources to go and finish repairing the walls. A door opens again. But with that door comes adversaries. Because we're told in Nehemiah chapter 4, as it reads, But it so happened when Samballot heard that they were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very ignorant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifice? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burnt? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, whatever they build, even if a fox goes upon it, it will break down their stone wall. They mocking church. They're mocking here. Nehemiah 4 verse 4 continues to say, Hear, O God, for we are despised. 
turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as a plunder to the land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sins be blotted out from before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So the Bible says they built the wall and the entire walls was joined together up to the half at its height. And the people had a mind to work. They had a mind. But here's what happens. Now what happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashadites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were being closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem to, and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer. Someone say prayer. We made our prayer to our God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. We set a watch. And our adversary said in verse 11, our adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them. And cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came and they told us ten times from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore, here's Nehemiah. He's speaking here. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings. And I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and I said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, for your sons for your daughters, for your wives, and your houses. Fight! Fight! We have to fight, church. And if I'm not careful, if I don't properly explain what I'm talking about, there certainly will be someone on YouTube telling me, I am trying to raise up insurrection. I'm not trying to raise up an insurrection because the Bible says that we are fighting a type of fight that is not with flesh and blood. And the scary thing is, it is far worse. It is far worse because you can only go so far with flesh and blood until the mind games happen, until the spiritual torment happens. Something you cannot take out with a sword. To the confusion happens. To the bound happens. Where you cannot loose yourself from the prison of self-condemnation. Where you're at a place in your life you have no more value for yourself. No sword can rescue you from that. There is no battering ram. There's no boxing gloves that can knock out a spirit of depression. So many people have gone to their graves because of depression. So many people lost value in themselves 
and ended their lives. They could not fight back because they couldn't see the enemy that was fighting them. That is what we call spiritual warfare. But do you know, as it is in the spiritual, it is in the natural. We heard this last week from Pastor Serge. Before any battle takes place in the natural, it's already happening in the spiritual. But then the opposite is true. Because in the spiritual, God says, I already gave you the victory. <laughs> it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time where I'm going to see the victory. Hallelujah. But again, nothing motivates you to fight unless there's a worth. Who just decides to take up arms in the midst of a battle where you can come back dead? What would motivate someone to lay down their life for a stranger? I mean, we're coming up to a time of Remembrance Day. And oftentimes I see these, these, these booths with the, the poppies and they're selling them and, you know, the donations, right? And I'm seeing so many people walking by these booths, oblivious of those who laid down their life. Like, I, it doesn't matter to me. I don't even know these people. They're dead. I mean, I'm here. Where, you know, I'm living my life. There's peace in the world right now. This is where I am. We become oblivious. So the danger is when you lose the worth in the fight. When you no longer see what the reason of your fight is, you're actually losing the battle. Did you hear me? When you no longer have a fight in you, you're as good as dead already. Because the enemy wants that. He would rather you have no desire to do anything. My family member's not saved. Uh, everyone has a choice. My family member was saved once and they gave their life to the Lord, but now they backslid. Well, you know what? Things happen. My friends are going through a, a, a hard relationship. They're about to go through a divorce. You know, he may have not been faithful, but you know what? The, you know, the statistics say 50% of people divorce anyway. This is where we are, right? When you no longer see something is worth fighting for, you become apathetic to it. It doesn't move you. But can I tell you something? If I came and took your child out of your house, if I touched the apple of Pastor Serge's son, EJ, I rip him out of the hands of his mother, and I take off, does Pastor Serge say, oh, you know what? I have two other children. I mean, <laughs> you know, God gives and God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The devil's a liar. There is no army that can stop my brother from coming after me. RCMP, OPP, don't matter what it is, he's coming. You know why? Because he sees something that's worth fighting for. Mm. There is something worth fighting for. So I asked myself the question, why do I fight personally? I said, why do I fight? I what am I fighting for too? 
Because certainly I understand anybody who is a child of God, whether you like it or not, you are signed up in the army of God. Did you know that? You are listed as a soldier in the army of God. The moment you give your life to God. And the good news is we already won. That ought to get you so, I'm surprised no one stood up. You already won. <laughs> you just read the book of Revelations and you'll get it. You have already won. Hallelujah. But it's in the spiritual. <laughs> we haven't come up to the natural part of that yet. So we fight. So I said to him, what do I fight? I said, what do I fight? Well, number one, I want to inherit the promise of God for me. I know, and I want to know that I don't miss out on the opportunity as well to take the fight to the enemy's camp. I want to destroy the works of darkness with the power of God. I fight because the devil, my adversary, he walks around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. I fight personally because my body is the temple of the living God. His word tells me in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I fight because I recognize that there is a war over my mind, my spirit, and my flesh, which I must bring into the uh, subjection under the power of God. No wonder why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26 to 27, Therefore I run, thus not with uncertainty, Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. I like what King James Version says, I myself shall be a castaway. I've done everything good for everybody except myself. Because I thought perhaps because I'm doing God's will, it would cover me. No, you've got to fight too. There is no special treatment the devil gives. He's looking for every gap. He's looking for every murmurer. I love what Pastor Serge said. He's looking for the discord. He just wants, if he can't get to the head, he'll go right for the body. He just wants the big toe to tell off the, the small toe. You just want to have something where there's an argument. And then the war, it breaks out. I fight because you know what, church? God gives me that right. Psalms 144 said, blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. My loving kindness and my fortress, my high tower, my deliverer, my shield, and the one in whom I take refuge, who subdues my people under me. Hallelujah. 
I fight because I want to grab a hold of the promises of God. But I recognize again, there are many adversaries that want to keep me from the promises of God. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Can I tell you, if you are a part of a church that does not pray, you are already in trouble. I'll say it again. If you are not a part of a church that is praying, get out of the church. It's just a matter of time where that won't be the church. What are we seeing today? We are seeing churches claiming to be the church of God. But nowhere are they in line with the doctrines of God. They have decided we don't want to offend anybody. So we're going to make the scriptures appeal to your lifestyle. You want to work and live gay? Sure thing. We'll just scratch some verses out. In fact, we'll come out with an addition, and it'll be just for the gays. Can I speak real? I'm not picking on anything. The Bible says all unrighteousness is sin. Anything that goes against God, anything that is not right is a sin. But can I tell you, if you do not fight for what God has already said in his word is what you're supposed to stand on, you will succumb to the enemy's tactics to bring in doctrines of demons, doctrines of devils, where you're questioning, is, what, is this the word of the Lord? Do you notice what some valid and Tobiah were saying? They were questioning the purpose God already gave to Israel. Will they really build? It almost reminds us of the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? Did he really tell you you would die? The enemy sounds the same in every generation. He always goes against what is true. You know, the Bible says we have to be mindful and hold fast to what is true. You know why? Because there's coming a day where those things that are evil will be called good. And the good will be called evil. We are literally living in that time. Our only offense in this battle is our prayer. Is our prayer. Not too long ago, I spoke about the spiritual warfares. And I'm not going to go back there, but there was a weapon that I didn't recognize as a weapon that should be a part of that list. I listed six weapons in our spiritual warfare. But God opened my understanding by telling me, you forgot about the weapon of the prayer and the oil. The prayer and the oil. I said, Lord, how is that a weapon? You know, you know, you know, Paul is describing the armor, right? The soldier. There's supposed to be something I can connect my understanding to. But you missed it. I missed it. There was a seventh weapon that often we miss, and it's called prayer and oil. Prayer and oil. Prayer and oil. 
keep that for a moment. The Bible says there's something that the devil knows that God has for us. And the problem with humanity, that we always want to see things before we believe it. We look at people and we've already determined what type of person they are. We judge by what we see. Someone says, comes up to us looking all raggedy. We kind of back up. We check ourselves, making sure if they make a move, we know what to do. And then someone in a nice suit comes to us and we're falling head over heels. The Bible reminds us that God does not judge on the outside. He's an inside out God. He looks what's going on in your heart before he judges what's on the outside. Because he knows they don't always say the same thing. So the devil knows that God has such a promise for the people who believe that it would blow their minds if they just held on. And Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9. But as it is written, eyes has not seen, no ear heard, nor have it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. God has so much prepared for us. God has so much for us that would blow our minds. But the enemy of our souls seeks to put us in a spirit of doubt and unbelief. So I fight because God has called me into a place of my life where the enemy does not want me to fulfill. I fight because so much depends on the victory in the fight. So much. It was Isaiah that prophesied this. Isaiah 61 verse 1. That the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. It was Jesus that later confirmed this in Luke 4.18. For he utters a consistent message of his mission. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me. To heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. And the recovery of the sight to the blind. To set at liberty those that are oppressed. Hallelujah. You know what that tells me? That we are worth fighting for. We are worth fighting for. Can I tell you church? That the church is predestined for victory. The church is not on the defense. Actually, the church is on the offense. We are on the offense against our enemy. We are not in retreat. We are not running. We are not hiding. We're not holding up the word of the Lord and said, oh, God, come and take us out of this place. Rapture us out of here. No. Because if we are saying that, that we have not understood the value of the fight. If God were to come today, how many of us would be with him? If God came today, 
and raptured us out of this place, we would all, would we all be ready for that? Would we all be ready if God said today, I come? I'm saying this because we have to understand, church, God is not slack concerning of his promises. As some men have counted slackness. But he is long-suffering towards us all, not willing that no one should perish, but that we would all come to repentance. God understands there are still souls hanging in the balance. There are still souls that we have to fight for. <laughs> we have to fight, church. God showed me this so clearly. As I sat down yesterday, talking with some of my family, and as they were sharing me the updates, I began to hear the stories of things that are happening in their respective lives. And I sat there, and I felt a stirring in my heart. And the stirring was this. There is no amount of sympathetic words that I can give them to change the situation. The fact that I'm listening to their issue is good. But me coming back and telling them how sorry I am to hear about this does nothing. Not until I understand that the fight is going to be on my knees. Not until I understand that the worth of that person has to be, God has to change what's happening in their life. But what I also have to understand, there is a door that is closed in that person's life and the enemy stands at it. Do you know sometimes you wonder why some people just walk away from the faith? Or those who have heard the gospel preached so many times, it's like you're talking to an iron door. What you may not understand, there are demonic forces standing at the door of our hope and blocking the entrance because the moment that the door opens, then change is about to happen. The moment the door opens, there's about to be a radical transformation. Are you with me, church? We have to understand that what we are experiencing in the spirit happened first in heaven. Isaiah 14, 12, 21 tells us, I don't have time to read all of it, so I'll paraphrase. It was that moment that we are revealed how Lucifer fell from grace. Isaiah tells us how he is cut down to the ground. How he has weakened the nation. Because of his pride, he ascended up and said, I will exalt myself above the thrones and stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation. Lucifer set his eyes on God's territory. And the Bible said that he was cast down. He was thrown down to the bottom of the pit. And here it is, he says, that those who see this once exalted angel and consider, is this the person who caused the earth to tremble, who shook the kingdoms, who made the world a wilderness 
and destroyed cities who would not open the house of his prisoners. Hallelujah. Who will not open the house and the doors of the prisoners. Church, we are absolutely in the fight of our lives. We are in the fight of our lives. And the fact that Jesus told Peter in Matthew 16, 18, and I say to you, Peter, that on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. When we understand what gates mean, gates were used as a mean of letting people go and come. Even in the Bible times, there were a place of commerce. There were a place where the city was kept secure and protected from the enemies and wild beasts. During times of conflict, these gates were shut, therefore became a weapon of defense. We know this as an example in Joshua chapter 6, 1, because it tells us now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and one, none came in. The offensive weapon used by armies was a battling ram. I, I wish I had time to put this on a picture, but it's a large pole, long and massive in diameter. And would be held by a number of foot soldiers. And at the given signal, they would charge the gates. While the defending soldiers from the top of the walls would shoot arrows at them. The first blow against the gate would hardly loosen anything. But then the repeated efforts would begin to take their toll. The nails and the spikes would begin to loosen and give way. Gates would begin to quake and tremble. And sometimes this would have to be repeated over and over consecutive days until the gates would give way under the relentless battering. The offensive, the offensive praying batters the gates of hell. Hallelujah. I know it's quiet in here, but I'm not intimidated by that at all because I know the spirit is speaking. It is your prayers that become the battering ram against the gates of hell. That prayer in the life of your loved one is like a battering ram that constantly hits that door, that constantly shifts the foundation. That prayer. We know this. Hallelujah. Sometimes in this offensive praying, we do this because we want to wrestle. We are looking to wrestle souls from the kingdom of darkness. Oftentimes, the first time we pray, it seems like a spiritual struggle. We feel we are hammering against an immovable object. But we keep praying and hammering away. Sometimes the battle rages for a long time. I believe even Pastor Serge mentioned this in Daniel chapter 10, 12 to 13, when Daniel prayed for 21 days as the angel who had his answers battled a demon called the Prince of Persia. Daniel persevered in prayer until he received his answer. In the church, we are often using the word breakthrough. 
to describe getting an answer from God for our prayer. The prayer may be a private request. It may be a request for healing. It may be a request for revival. It may be a request for someone who is sick, going through a hard time. No, whatever it is, we are praying. It could be for our family member that is under attack from the enemy, suffering from severe forms of depression and low self-esteem. In every situation, we should be praying and battering the gates of hell until we break through. Victory is on the way. Understanding what God said to Peter about the gates of hell. The gates of hell represents the powers and principalities of darkness. In the Bible times, the city gates were the place of authority and decision. The area of the gates was the gathering place for public assemblies and speeches. The prophets under, often stood near the gates of the city to preach their sermons. The area near the gates where the legal and political authority of the day held court and conducted business. We are told in even Genesis 19 verse 1, Lot was an influential man in the city of Sodom and he sat in the gates. In Ruth chapter 4, 1, when Boaz conducted his legal transaction as the kinsman redeemer for Ruth, he did so at the city gates. We understand in the scriptures in Deuteronomy 16, verse 18, that the law of Moses established the gates as a place of justice. As it reads, you shall appoint judges and officers in all your gates, which the Lord your God gives you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgments. So the gates of hell represents the place where the kingpins of hell rule the underworld. Darkness, sinful activities are planned in that gate. Their attacks on the church are planned in the gates of hell. These are the doors today in countries and nations that we must open so that the gospel can be preached. But it's the offensive praying that bursts opens the gate, that allows the light of the message of the gospel to be preached. Hallelujah. We face this opposition from the enemy. Why? Because the devil does not want us to know the truth. He stands in the gates. He sends his demonic angels to go and stand at those gates to prevent us from getting in. But do you know our God already had a response for him? Do you know that? Hallelujah. In fact, I have been perhaps reading even the scripture I'm about to reference wrong. Or if not wrong, not completely. Matthew 7, verse 7. What does it tell us? Jesus told us, knock and it shall be open. Knock and it shall be open. For whatever reason, I used to think this was the door of Jesus. When I read this, I thought this was the door of Jesus. But this is the door of everything you want to open up. He says, knock, 
and the door will open. We must keep knocking and we must keep hammering away at the gates of hell until the breakthrough comes. We have to keep pressing church if you are praying for a soul, if you're praying for an answer from God, if you're praying for a relationship, you got to keep knocking. Hallelujah. Is it possible that there are forces working that are standing in the way of your answer? But if you stop praying, you will miss it. Do you see how important prayer is? I don't care how good and talented the music is. If there is no prayer, there is no power. Hallelujah. We need the power of the Holy Ghost, church. We need the power of the Holy Ghost over all of our weapons of warfare. When I spoke about the oil and about the, about the spirit, I'm talking about what the armor needs to be covered in. In ancient times, you know what they would do with their armor? They would saturate it in oil to prevent the rust, especially the shield. The shield in the Bible represents your shield of faith. And when you don't have the proper ointment on your shield, you are at risk of being penetrated by a sword. In fact, if you read the Bible, this is what caused Saul's demise. When the anointing left Saul, it also left all his armor. And in the practical, physical sense, he did not lube his armor with oil. When he fell on the hill of Gilboa, of Gilboa do you know what the Bible says? He was pierced through the shield. The sword went right through his shield and killed him. And you know what the Bible also says? That David made a proclamation and spoke about the fact that where Saul fell that day would be forever cursed. The hill of Gilboa, if you go to Israel, is a barren mountain, a barren hill. Nothing grows there. And it is there we are told that Saul's shield was not covered in oil and he fell there. When you don't have the Holy Ghost in your prayer, you're missing the covering. When the Holy Ghost is not part of your faith, you're missing the power. Can we stand, church? We have a wonderful promise from the mouth of Jesus that the gates of hell shall not prevail. We know the word of God said he's not, Jesus is not slack concerning his promises. Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Hallelujah. Jesus has already conquered our enemy. He has given us an assurance that the power structure of the enemy, the gates of hell, cannot stop an onward march of the church. We have a promise of God to stand upon. He will not come when Jesus comes. Can I tell you, when Jesus comes to this earth, he is not going to find a weak church. He is not going to find a dwindling church. But you know what he's going to find? He's going to find a church that is on fire. 
Hallelujah. He's going to find a church that is anointed, that understands their call, that understands their time. Hallelujah. This will be a church that is glorious. The same church that he will take to the new Jerusalem. Hallelujah. We are going to our knees to wage war. When we wage, it's an offensive. It's praying. And not only will this praying prepare us for what is to come, it will also prepare us to combat the demons that try to stand in our way of breakthrough. God desires that the loosing of the bands of wickedness happen. God desires that heavy burdens be lifted and that the oppressed go free. God desires that every yoke be broken. And we are to be that intercessor. We are to be that warrior that will fight because there is a worth in the fight. Hallelujah. There is a worth in the fight. I'm here to tell you the battle is not over, church. The battle is not over. We are coming to a place where we have to, we have to understand the enemy is taking our loved ones out left, right, and center. But if you don't have a compassion for what your neighbor is going through, you don't care that they're not even in church. It doesn't even phase your mind. You sit on a bench and you, it's like they were never here. You don't even remember. We have to be mindful of what the word of God says. He's not slack concerning his promise. He is coming, church. And he says, I'm giving you a window to get into the gates of hell and wrestle your family out. Somebody met us on the road. Someone met us in our journey. And we are in the house of God today. Somebody crossed our path. You know why? Because they were praying. And they knew they would meet you one day. They were praying for you. And they didn't even know you. You were going through things that they didn't know. But because they have prayed for you, the Spirit of God drew you here. Can I tell you, you have to fight for your life. You need to fight for the things that are value. Fight for your integrity, young person. When someone's trying to take advantage of you, fight for your integrity. Your body is the temple of God. Fight over your mind. When the enemy is tempting you to listen to things you should not. Even to listen to doctrine you should not. You're on YouTube watching every message after this. Because you're just looking for that next word. When God already gave you a word. Can I tell you, the devil knows when we're not stable. He will send every wind of doctrine to question your belief. You need to fight. You need to fight. Hallelujah. I've closed here, but we're not closing on no slow song. We're not closing on no slow song. 
I just told you something that you're worth fighting for. And when Abraham came back from the victory, did they come back crying? When Nehemiah and his peeps came out of that struggle with those enemies, did they come back mourning? No. But there was a victory. <laughs> there was a dance going on. And I tell you something. It wasn't just going on in the end. It was going on during the fight. That's how you confuse the enemy. Because when you should be crying over your loss. When you should be crying over your disappointment. He finds you in the house of God. Praising. He finds you at the altar. Pouring your heart out to God. Because he's already given you a victory. Victory is mine. Victory is mine. Victory today is mine. I told Satan, get thee behind. Victory today is mine. Oh yes, victory is mine. Victory is mine. Victory today is mine. I told Satan, get thee behind. Victory today is mine. If you are in a war, as we are playing this song, if you are going through a war right now, or you're going through a fight, can I provoke you to get out of your seat and dance and praise like you already won that victory? Because greater is he that is in your situation than he that is trusting in the world. He has your promise. Victory.